What's the most meaningful act of generosity you have ever received? What's the most generous thing anyone's ever done for you? Now, when I reflect on that question, a ton of things come to mind. I feel like, like Lisa and I have just been abundantly blessed, not just in the, in the basic things that we have, but over and over and over again throughout our, our 20 plus years of marriage, we have seen God surprise us through the generosity of other people. Whenever a need arises, the generosity of God through incredibly kind and compassionate people arrives with it. We've seen that time and time again. I could share a number of stories. And by the way, this reminds me, thank you to all of you who showed me and our entire staff a lot of generosity throughout the month of October for pastoral appreciation and church worker appreciation. Thank you for that kindness. Uh, It is overwhelming. Uh, One story for me sticks out. Lisa and I were, were, were newly married. We were maybe two years in or so, and we had just had a baby, and we were just starting out in ministry. So we were young, we were tired, and we were poor. But it was our anniversary, and I was determined to take my wife out to the nicest restaurant that I could find. And so I asked around, I did some searching online, and I found the nicest restaurant that I could. And we went to dinner. And while we're sitting there, I, it came to my attention that it was, it was not just nice, it was real nice. It was like, you can't afford this, you don't deserve to be here. Nice. But I, I didn't let any of that show. We just enjoyed our dinner until finally the bill came. And the waiter handed me the bill and all it said was, your dinner has been paid for. Now, no one, to my knowledge, no one knew from our church or from our family that we were going to dinner, that we were going to this particular restaurant. Nobody knew. It means that somebody in that restaurant just saw me there sweating over the arrival of the bill (laughs) and decided to pay for our meal. They didn't know me. They just saw a young couple clearly out of place trying to have a good time, and they said, we got you. What are the greatest acts of generosity that you've received? Today we're continuing a short teaching series called Three Things to Do Before You're Done. And what we're doing in this series is making a short kind of like spiritual bucket list, so to speak, of things that we should embrace before our time on this earth is over, things that we should experience but before our time is done, things that Jesus encourages us to do. And the thing that we're going to talk about today is this, is that you should engage in an act of extreme generosity, that you should bless someone extravagantly, undeservedly, surprisingly. To guide us in this conversation, we look at the story of the Good Samaritan, which is a picture that Jesus offers to us of what it looks like to love someone well. For Jesus, being abundant in blessing other people is essential. Of course, that's what his whole life was about, dying on the cross for the sins of the world. Talk about an abundant and undeserved blessing given to others. But Jesus defines the whole life of following him as a life of loving your neighbor. And that doesn't mean just being nice to other people. It's a life of compassion and mercy in response to the needs that you see all around you. That's what the the story of the Good Samaritan is about. Having just read it, I want to just share a couple insights from that story with you about what it means to be a person who blesses other people extravagantly, what it means to be 
the kind of neighbor who doesn't just love well, but loves and gives abundantly. I think the first thing we can learn from the story of the Good Samaritan is that the love that the Samaritan showed to the man who was beat up and left for dead on the side of the road was unexpected. The man is attacked by robbers, beat up and left for dead, and we're told that three people pass him by. The priest, the Levite, and then the Samaritan comes across him. And what we're supposed to gather from these three people is that what you have there in those three people are three people, three individuals, who each in their own mind has a decent excuse for doing nothing. The priest was returning from Jerusalem down into Jericho, where many of the priests lived at the time. They didn't live in Jerusalem. They took the treacherous journey, going down about 2,500 feet, going down the side of a mountain, down to Jericho, He was leaving his priestly service, and what you know about the priests is that the priests had taken certain vows. The priests, one of the vows they'd taken is that they could not touch anything that was unclean, and kind of at the height of unclean things was a dead body. And so this man by the side of the road, beaten to a pulp and left for dead, certainly he looked dead to the priest who's passing by, and so the priest looks and says, that's likely a dead man. If I help him, I'm unclean, and I've got to stay clean, and so he walks on by. The Levite, a religious leader, under the same ceremonial restrictions. So in all likelihood on this road, he saw the priest pass the man by, it serves as permission for him to pass the man by and say to himself, well, I I have to stay pure, I have to stay clean as well. You see, if he'd gotten involved and gotten his hands bloody and gotten gotten himself messy in helping this man who was near death, if he had just come from temple service, what that meant is, after a long time away from his family, he'd have to go back up to Jerusalem, get himself ceremonially clean again, and start the whole journey over. And he wanted to go home, wanted to see his kids, wanted to pet his dog. Can you blame him? And so he walks by on the other side of the road. And then there's a Samaritan. Now, there's a whole big story about the, the struggle between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. But the bottom line is this. The Jewish people felt very justified in hating the Samaritans for cultural reasons, religious reasons, political reasons, racial reasons. It was incredibly tense, filled with hate and animosity. So the Samaritan being on this road in close proximity to Jerusalem, he is in enemy territory. So no one would fault him if he says, you know what, I don't really want to stop. I need to get home. I'm in dangerous ground. And it was dangerous ground indeed for all three of them. Look at what happened to the man who's on the side of the road. He got attacked by robbers and left for dead. All three of them have good reasons in their own mind for doing nothing. Good excuses. Which is what makes the Samaritan stopping to help and to save and to serve so surprising. He didn't have to, but he did. You know, there are people in your life and mine that we feel justified in overlooking. 
for whatever reason, we feel like we don't have to give them a second glance. We don't feel obligated to help them. Uh, we're aware of their existence, but for whatever reason, we don't feel like we have to help. There are people that we too feel as though we have a good reason for not stopping to respond to their need, whatever their need is. It might be a member of your family that you're estranged from, a particular coworker that you don't like. It could be a particular people group that you don't understand or you feel uncomfortable with. It could be people in a particular station of life and their station of life makes you feel uneasy and so you don't want to stop and you don't want to help them. I don't know what it is, but we all have some that we feel justified in overlooking their need. Who might that be for you? Now, I have no doubt that you, me, all of us in this room, we are very generous people. We are very generous, very compassionate people. Everybody who's not in this room, the thing they say about all of us is how generous we are. <laughs> it's very true. But here's my suspicions about your generosity and mine. Our generosity is probably to all the likely people in all the usual places. The opportunity hidden within the story of the Good Samaritan is for you to be someone who blesses someone the world doesn't expect you to bless. To give to someone, to help someone that you otherwise feel justified in overlooking and ignoring. Second thing we learn from the story of the Good Samaritan is that the love of the Samaritan to the man who is beaten and bloodied and left for dead on the side of the road, the love for him is essential. Now, what I mean by that is that it meets a real need. The man is going to bleed out on the side of the road, and unless someone comes to help him, he's going to die. And the Samaritan notices exactly what this man needs. And Jesus tells us that he, he bandages up his wounds. He pours oil and wine on his wounded places. He lifts this man up and puts him on his own donkey. Have you ever tried to, to lift up your own child while they're sleeping? Like I got an eight-year-old. He falls asleep on the couch. I'm like, well, I like my back too much to lift you up and take you to your room. It's not going to happen. And yet this Samaritan somehow gets this gets this man from the side of the road onto his own donkey and he takes him directly to the nearest inn where it, it says that he, he basically nurses him and cares for him that entire evening until the next day. The generosity that's shown by the Samaritan to this man is essential. He notices his dire state and he meets his need. Again, talking about the generosity that you and I show to our neighbors around us, typically what we do is, is we, we meet needs, we give gifts in a way that's very comfortable for us, in a way that is not at all awkward or sometimes really not even all that sacrificial for us. It's very easy for us. We meet the needs that are easy for us to meet. But what we learn from the Samaritan is that it couldn't have been easy for him to meet this need. He gets, he gets covered in blood from lifting up this man. He gets sweaty from putting him on the donkey. He's put out completely by neglecting whatever other plans that he had and instead tending to this man's need. And it's not like he could text his wife and say, honey, I'm going to be late. I'm doing something that Jesus is going to talk about for the rest of time. <laughs> he can't do that. He's completely put out by all of this, but that's what the real need required. 
I'm sure most of you are familiar with the notion of love languages, right? The idea of a love language is that we all have a way in which love makes sense to us, where when we receive it and we feel it, we, we actually feel it and grasp it and we feel loved. And my love language may very well be different from yours. And the key to having like a, like a healthy relationship where everybody feels loved and respected and affirmed is that I need to love you not in the way that love makes sense to me, but I need to spend enough time with you and get close enough to you and, and know you well enough to know how love makes sense to you and then offer that kind of love to you. So let's put all this together. So we need to be willing to show generosity to people that we would otherwise overlook, but we also need to be willing to get close enough to notice what their actual need is and then meet that need. Close enough to notice that they have a particular bill that has gone unpaid. Close enough to notice that he is exasperated and tired being a single dad. Close enough to know that there is something that his health insurance is not going to cover. Close enough to know that your coworker has a car that she's driving that isn't really fit for the road. Close enough to know what the actual needs are. And then you try to meet that. Even though it's costly for you, even though it's inconvenient for you, even though it's not what you had planned to give or wanted to do, you got close enough to see the need. And now that you know the need, you can't, you can't do nothing. You got to put him on your donkey. And you got to take him to the end. Next thing we notice about the love of the Samaritan to the man on the side of the road is that it's not only, it's not only unexpected, it's, it's not only essential, it's abundant. It's a little bit extra. It goes above and beyond what the need is. I mean, we just read the story. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you again. He puts him on the donkey, he takes him to the inn, and then the Samaritan has to leave. Before he leaves, he goes to the counter at the inn and he drops the equivalent of a couple hundred bucks and he says, look, if he needs to stay a couple more days and anything else that this guy needs, I'm going to cover it. And if this, what I've given you, is not enough to cover whatever he needs to get better, I will come back to you and I will square up with you and I will make this whole. It would have been enough for him to just rescue the man from the side of the road and nurse him through the night and make sure he doesn't die, but he goes a little bit extra. He does a little bit more. He says, what else can I do? And he puts some money on the counter and says, let me, let me try to cover any other need that he might have. The love that he shows to that man is not just unexpected. It's not just essential, meeting a deep need. It is a little bit more. What if you, as we enter into this time of year where, where generosity, opportunities for generosity abound, what if you, if you get to a place where you notice someone that you would otherwise overlook and you get close to them, close enough to notice their need and you decide, I'm going to respond, I'm going to try and be extravagantly generous to this person, you actually chose some extravagance. You chose to not just meet their need, but you said to yourself, what if I did a little bit more for them? Now, just fair warning, extra is extra. 
It requires a sacrifice. It may require you to ask a question, am I willing to go, am I willing to have a little bit less for me so that I can go the extra mile and put a few hundred bucks on the counter to cover whatever is needed for them? Abundant generosity is unexpected. It meets an essential need and it's a little extra. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Why should we do this? In fact, you know, I would say this. I don't think you should consider it a should I do this. I don't think you should hear the story of the Good Samaritan or hear any of the words that I'm saying to you this morning and think to yourself, man, I'm obligated to go out and find somebody to bless extravagantly. I don't think we should frame it that way at all. I think you will do this. I don't think it's a have to. I think it's going to flow from your heart as a get to. You know why? Because this is what you have received. And people who have received this kind of abundant generosity, they then give this kind of abundant generosity. And I'm not just talking about the time that somebody paid for your meal at dinner. You see, the story of the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan is not primarily about what it looks like to love your neighbor extravagantly. Primarily, the story of the Good Samaritan is a story about how Jesus Christ is the good neighbor to you. That's what this story is about. This story is primarily a picture of the love of God through Jesus Christ to you and me. You know how, like, in parables, every person in the parable represents somebody else? So, like, who do you think we are in the parable? Are we the Levite? Are we the priest? Are we the Samaritan? No. You know who we, humanity, you know who humanity is in the parable of the Good Samaritan? We are the man who has been beaten up, robbed, left for dead on the side of the road. That's who we are. And the Levite and the priest, they represent the law. They represent religion, they represent being a good person, none of those things can rescue you or save you from what you've succumbed to. None of those things. You can't go to church enough, you can't be generous enough, you can't be kind enough, you can't vote for all the right people who are going to make everything okay, you can't, you can't crush it in your vocation in order to be enough, you can't work your way out of your situation of being stuck in death, stuck in in sin, stuck in shame. You are dying and bleeding out on the side of the road. That's Jesus' point in this story. But then along comes someone unexpected, someone despised and rejected by his peers, someone who unexpectedly and undeservedly does what nobody else can do, stop to heal you and help you. And who is that person? It's Jesus Christ. He's the good neighbor to you. And he stops to heal you and to lift you up onto his shoulders and to nurse you to health, to eternal health, to tell you that you are loved, that you are worthy, that you are seen, that you are forgiven. But then he goes a little bit extra and says, you are part of an eternal, forgiven family. This story is about what you have received. And what do people do who have received extravagant love, undeserved, unexpected, 
essential in nature and abundant in its goodness, what do they do? They do the same. This is not about what you have to do. This is about who you are, what you've received, and what you get to do as a result. Now, if you sit here and you say, man, Matt, I don't feel like I should do any of this stuff for other people. Like, I'm, I'm fine just caring for myself and the people that are easy for me to love. I'm not going to say, well, go out and do it anyway. Go extravagantly love somebody else. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say, spend the time this season, this upcoming holiday season, reflecting on and resting in and wrestling with all that has been done for you by the good Samaritan Jesus Christ. Sit with that. Soak in that love. And then let it flow through you. If you're ready to do this, if you're ready to engage in an act of extreme generosity and blessing to somebody else, I would encourage you to do this. I would encourage you to have a conversation with your family. Have a conversation with your family where you wrestle with three things. Number one, who would be most surprised by a gift from us? Who would be most like, really? You? Me? For me? Wow. Think about that person. And then wrestle with this. What do you need to do in order to get close enough to that person to notice what a real need is? You need to invite them over to dinner. You need to spend more time with them. What do you need to do to get in close proximity enough so that you notice a need? And then lastly, are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to go with a little less so that in responding to their need, you can do a little more? Have that conversation at the dinner table with your spouse and your kids. That's a good one to have. Who would be surprised by a gift from us? How are we going to get close enough to know exactly what they need? And are we willing to go, go with a little less so that we can give them even more? Man, you want to talk about potent, powerful. It's incredible. I'm going to close with a story. You may know this story already because it's a famous one. This is the story of, of Osceola McCarty. Osceola was born in Hattiesburg, Mississippi in 1908. And in the sixth grade, she had to quit school to take care of her family. And she became, by her own description, a washerwoman. She washed people's clothes. She pressed it, she folded it, that was her job. She never went to school. She did that until arthritis forced her to retire in 1994. So from 1908 to 1994, she washed clothes, pressed and folded them for other people. She never had a car. She walked to the grocery store a mile each way. She got rides from her friends to go to her beloved Baptist church in Hattiesburg. And she got rides to work. One thing that Osceola did was that she saved every penny she ever made. And she was paid often in pennies. She saved every penny that she ever made. And just before her death at 91 years old, she met with a lawyer. She knew the lawyer because she washed his clothes and pressed and folded them. And he helped her figure out what she was going to do with her estate. She said that she wanted to give 10% of everything that she'd saved over her lifetime to her church. And then she wanted to give another 10% to a couple of relatives that were still around. And then she wanted to give the rest to the University of Southern Mississippi. 
particularly she wanted to give it to USM to help, to help students who might be tempted to quit because they can't afford to go. Just before she died, she wrote a check to the University of Southern Mississippi for $150,000, all earned by washing clothes and folding them and pressing them. The university was so moved by this gift that they put a statue up of Osceola. They put a statue up and students go and they show their appreciation for all that she was able to do to make it possible for, for students to go to school there. Uh, what's really cool about that statue is that there's this tradition where students will purchase gifts for international students at Christmas. Students who are far from home and they'll purchase those gifts for international students and they'll sit them near the statue of Osceola and the international students go and they get their gifts by going to visit the statue of the woman who saved up so much money and gave gifts to the students. And what I really appreciate about the statue is if you look closely, you see that sitting in Osceola's lap is a gigantic Bible because she wanted some people to know from where her generosity came. It didn't come from a mandate in those scriptures of how generous she should be. It came from the story of those scriptures of how generous God had been to her. And that generosity flowed through her. Now, if she can do that, flowing from her faith and her poverty, if she can do that to extravagantly love others, what can you do? What can I do? Our Father in heaven has noticed your need and he has showed up in unexpected ways. And he has done what is essential. He's forgiven your every sin, guaranteed you an eternal life, and he's gone beyond anything you could ask or imagine. Now ask yourself, what do you want your life, your one life to be about? May we be the kind of people who do the same. Amen. Amen.